0: Welcome to the New Books Network. Our lives
1: are the sum of our choices. And we cannot escape the past. Ethan, this mission of yours... And I'm Mike. So welcome to this special episode of 15 Minute Full Fanatics. Today, we're talking about a movie. Mike, what are we doing today?
0: Mission Impossible.
1: Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning Part 1, uh, directed by Christopher McQuarrie and written by McQuarrie and Bruce Geller and Eric Jensen. Um, spoiler alert, we're going to talk about the movie. If you haven't seen it yet, we waited a couple weeks to drop this episode so people could go see it. And now that Barbie and Oppenheimer have kind of taken over the movie theaters, we assume that everybody who wants to see Mission Impossible has seen it already, All right. So in Part 1, we always talk about our overall taker. Mike, how do you want to start this episode?
0: Well, let's let's do a rundown of the of the previous Mission Impossibles, because I just actually rewatched the first one with with Kitridge as the original, uh, you know, guy who tries to arrest um, Ethan Hunt. And I thought that it was it was a great movie. I used to I used to hold a lot of things against it, including its clunky laptops, which are not really its fault. And Emilio Estevez dying in that elevator in such a um, horrifically goofy way. Uh, But it's a great movie. It's a great movie.
1: 1996. I love the first Mission Impossible. That's where we get the tunnel scene,
0: right? When the
1: when that when the, when the, the, um, airplane, the tunnel. Yeah, the job through the tunnel. I think that's great. So then in 2000, let's go through. them. In 2000 we get Mission Impossible 2, directed by John Woo, which should have been. I remember when it came out. I'm like, "Oh, they got John Woo to direct Mission Impossible. It's going to be great."
0: I actually saw it when I was 12, and even when I was 12, I thought this is a bad movie, and I think it left a bad it left a bad taste in my mouth for the entire franchise. And I'm I guarantee you there are people listening to this podcast who are like, why do they like art film, but also mission impossible because they're great movies. The second one's just bad. Don't hold it against the franchise.
1: No, it's just bad. And you, again, you would think we've all seen the killer and hard boiled and a lot of John Woo films. You think that was a marriage made in heaven, but it's not. So then six years later, we get 2006, we get mission impossible three directed by JJ Abrams. I think that one's
0: got my vote for best opening when they're trying to find the rabbit's foot. Best villain, uh, best format. um, And really the spiritual uh ancestor of the of the current films this is this is really what got the franchise restarted and i think that they knew that they really flubbed the second one and so they put everything that they had into making sure that this didn't fizzle out
1: you might want to say it's where tom cruise found his mission impossible voice
0: uh, I, I think it I think it definitely is a lot of the a lot of the things that have become famous about Mission Impossible are from the third one. The running is from the third one. Um, the the dedication to the current crew is from the third. They bring back uh, Luther, of course, but then they add more characters. And so the, the crazy bunch, the wild bunch that you get from Mission Impossible 3, they've never really done a full reset of the franchise since the third one. They're, they're all really sequels of the third one.
1: So then the fourth one is 2011, Ghost Protocol, directed by – do you know who, Do you remember who directed Ghost Protocol? I do not. This is going to knock you out if you don't know this. Brad Bird. Really? Who directed The Incredibles and Ratatouille and, and a bunch of great episodes of The Simpsons. So that makes a lot of sense. I love Ghost Protocol. That's got the beginning where he's in the Russian prison and they play Dean Martin while he breaks out. And you get um the Burj Khalifa where they switch the rooms. And is they, that they the film,
0: underwater thing?
1: Yeah, that's got where he um, has the handy watch to say how much you,
0: oxygen you, have you only you only know Mission Impossible movies by their gimmicks, and so yeah. I know that as the underwater one,
1: right? Because I'm trying to think for today. I'm like, what's the one where he fights the guy in the parking deck that has that cool Carvana kind of thing where the levels, and I'm like, that's the one. So that was in 2011, 2015. That's when Christopher Macquarie sort of them. That's when we get Rogue Nation. That's where we get Rebecca Ferguson, that great opening in the record store. Actually, that's the one with the underwater bit. That's the one with the underwater ah. bit. And um, that's got where he's in the car with Benji and the car flips over a hundred times. And then we move up to 2018 and we mm-hmm. get Fallout, which we've done an episode
0: on, also directed by Christopher Macquarie. That's where I think that's got the best, best fist fight Henry Cavill's a, and Henry Cavill's a great villain. Oh, and the fight in the bathroom you were talking about with the it, it, that's fantastic.
1: That's awesome. And like the idea that you have to go from one helicopter to another, like that's awesome. So now we get up to this one. We get up to Dead Reckoning Part One. You know, filmed during COVID. We also the YouTube video of Tom Cruise having a meltdown about obeying the COVID protocols, and they had to get this movie out as much hype as you can imagine a movie getting. We all saw it. Mike Part One overall go.
0: So I liked what they did, bringing everything back from the beginning. I mean, if you ask me, we just went through the list four, five, six, and seven are really just one long continuous movie. Um, they really are in their own way with the continuity of characters, e- including the continuity of villains, right? They don't even reset their villains. People have ongoing relationships. It's just kind of been like one long uh, cinematic festival. And I think that this one was was, was very true uh, to the format. There are some great Gimmicks in this one that that you hope come back in the second one, including the the smart bomb, uh, you know the 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 gimmick of 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 people disappearing, yet more antics on the train, um, becoming Kit Ridge, who's who's of course played by the same actor, uh, which I thought was really nice when I when I rewatched the first one, I thought maybe they just had a Kit Ridge stand-in, but it's the same guy playing the same part. Yeah, 26 years ago. I, when
1: I when I saw this one, I thought to myself that everybody loves to rank these and try to say which one's the best. And I think that's really difficult to do because I love them all, except for the second one. The second one's just a dud, right? But it reminded me very much of, you know, I thought to myself, why is this my favorite franchise? My favorite movie franchise is Mission Impossible. Why is that? And it occurred to me, it's also because it's like my favorite band. Now, my favorite band is the Grateful Dead. And I think that they have a lot in common. And what do they have in common is that they have certain high points and certain okay points but it's hard to categorize what's the absolute best if someone said to you what's the best year of the grateful dead someone might say all right 1977 1976 um but still, like you know, someone might say, "Oh, there's not a lot going on in 1982." But you listen to some shows, you're like, "Yeah, this is really good." And it's funny when you, like you said, when you string all the Mission Impossible's together, it's like, "Well, the best fistfights in this one, but the most clever stunt is is the Burj Khalifa in this one, and the best mask bit is probably in this one, and that they're all not in the same movie." But I think that's what makes
0: it a good franchise. The things that they do well, they do very consistently well. All the time, right? So the mask gimmick from from the first movie, you know, it goes runs all the way through. And so that's a thread. If you like that kind of thing, you will never get tired of it. And they will always deliver. There's also there's very little cursing and no sex, you know, and they're really the only franchise, I don't really know exactly how they get away. I mean, there's less sexual tension in this movie than in a Marvel movie. There's like one slightly awkward hug in this movie. And so you, you can you can take your kids to it is, is what I'm saying. You can yeah. you can sit there and not have to avert your eyes uh, from the screen. And so it's it's designed for moviegoers when they say they're, they're the only people I really believe when they do that stupid thing that I hate where they go, we made this movie for you and we're glad that you're seeing it like who cares where I watch it. But but honestly, they're the only people who truly designed this experience for sitting around strangers because they know that. You know, there's the only thing worse than a really bad sex scene is a bad sex scene in a movie where you're sitting next to people that you know. And then the third worst is sitting next to people you don't know. Welcome back. So, in part two, of course, we talk about our key moments. Dan, what's yours?
1: Well, I was going to say my key moment was when you realize they have to go through the kitchen car on the train as it's collapsing just so you can get some fire and some slick surfaces in there before they get to the train car where of course the piano is suspended by a single hook. Cause that's just like great writing. Like how do you, how do you keep upping the ante? But what I want to really talk about is the smart bomb. So of course, you know, the joke of the smart bomb is that it's a smart bomb and there's really not a bomb in it. And I just think it's so funny how they got this villain. Like they they had their finger on the pulse when they wrote this. And they said, who are we going to fight this time? Because in, you know, the four, it's the, or four or five, it's the syndicate. And that's like the, the ultra terrorists of the world. And then it becomes the apostles who are like the people too evil for the syndicate. So what do you keep doing? So they're like, well, let's make Ethan fight chat GBT or something. They get doing that. But what I think is so cool is that they did that, but they know that that's not exciting to watch. Ethan can't um, they say Tom Cruise cannot have a fist fight on a moving train with an algorithm? So they invented that guy, Gabriel, who's working, of course, for um for the entity, the guy who struck me as like a poor man's George Clooney. I thought he was great.
0: Yeah, he's he's exactly like Agent Smith from totally. The Matrix, right? Because you get how can you fight the system? Well, you can fight the system, but I would rather fist fight the system. So we'll get a stand-in actor.
1: So I think it's cool that Macquarie and the people that wrote the movie got to have their AI cake and eat it too. Like we want to do this high concept AI thing. But at the same time, like Ethan's got to get into physical trouble. and so we're gonna have this guy. I thought it was a great idea.
0: Well, the beautiful part is it's it's very it's um it's very low tech. Right. It's, it's, it, it pretends that it's high concept, but it never gets high concept. Like what, what is AI? AI is a blue moving circle. Like the eye of Sauron, you know, what does it know? Uh, I, I don't know. I guess everything, everything. what does it look like? It's invisible. Oh, um, what does it fight? Like it, it fights kind of like Ethan, but with a knife. Okay. Yeah. you know and that's that was that seems like the extent of the exercise
1: and it's great because then they get into all those matrix kind of things where like well what if that's what the entity wants us to do and like no no that's what, and like where every choice you make is the wrong one so i think that's a lot of fun
0: too what was your moment uh my moment was when uh that was the big jump and of course the the big jump Well, I'll say I'll say a Tom Cruise movie, not a Mission Impossible movie, but the big jump in any Tom Cruise movie is something that you know that he actually did, that he practiced, that family members and friends begged him not to do before he did it. That's that's kind of the you know, there's a pre production or production fun about Mission Impossible movies, because you know that other actors who work with him leave the set pale and vomiting and saying that guy's nuts and they they really mean that guy's nuts. And so the scene is Ethan has to find a way to get on the train. Benji is trying to engineer one. It looks like he's going in totally the wrong direction, but what he's actually been doing is scooting up a mountain so that he can glide down on a parachute that he didn't use. And Ethan basically says I'm not doing that. Uh and Benji gets very upset and says, you know, can't you see how much pressure I'm under? Where Ethan goes, "Okay." And so the 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 joke is that they all love each other so much that if the guy was stressed out, that he would jump off a of mountain for him, which, of course, there was going to be a big jump anyway. There always is, you know, in the most momentous way that they possibly can. And this was their way to beat flying a helicopter, you know, through the through the train tunnel, I guess, was for him to actually parachute off the side of a mountain and land on a train
1: yeah and we've also and if you haven't seen them if you're listening there are youtube videos all about how they cr- constructed the bmx track for tom cruise like two years in advance and he did like eight thousand hours of skydiving and, and they practiced it maybe you know uh, this many hours of time until they actually filmed the real jump so it's kind of funny that when he's falling in the air and he's talking to benji about where i'm going and you're like this isn't cgi like like they have a drone filming him and it's actually right there and like you said it must be hilarious for the other people on the set like you know you know tom we we have we have special effects now like we can we can pretty much do anything in a movie
0: well just it cheap but but the point is that 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 it cheapens it right it it makes it like i like iron man movies as much as the probably less than the next guy if i'm being honest but let's just say as much as the next guy right and it's like okay i'm robert Downey jr and i'm funny and charming but now i'm a robot and i'm flying and it's like no you're not yeah. But when when Tom Cruise does something like that and it's it's like no they dropped me to the bottom of the ocean um and I held my breath and then I also acted at the same time and then I shot something. It's like I know he didn't do all of it but he did at least 3 out of those 5 things. He did enough of it and it's and it's
1: we've done episodes about him but don't you think it's kind of the same appeal of Jackie Chan?
0: It's exactly the same appeal as Jackie Chan and it's the exact same financial reward. I mean Jackie Chan directed Choreographed, starred in was the lead stunt man, uh, and one of the writers of the original police story, which they made for under a million dollars US, but which grossed over $20 million US um, when it w- when it was way more than it is today. And so it, you know, it's the same thing. It's like, well, I guess in order to do that, we'd need multiples of it and a bunch of camera footage and time to set up, and we'd have to pay a stunt guy to do it. And and both Tom Cruise and Jackie Chan are like, nah, never mind. Just Put the camera here and just point it in that direction. Don't move. One more thing you, to, to
1: build upon what you said about why he does the job. It's kind of funny that when Benji says, don't you know how much pressure I'm under? And Tom Cruise has that reaction shot that got a big laugh in the movie theater, you know, when, when I saw that's a big laugh line. But what you said is true because it's just like work. Like someone, someone you're under a lot of pressure. Someone else in your office starts complaining about how hard their job is. And you're like, ah. Another thing, that's like a day at work. How funny is it when the mask machine breaks for him? So they have to send Grace on the train by herself because that's just like work. Like, well, you're the, the IMF, make a mask. Uh, the machine broke. Well, when are you going to fix it? I can't fix it. We just, um uh, okay. Uh, well, so what do we do now? Uh, I don't know. It's just like being at work.
0: Exactly, and that I—that's—that's that's really the joke for them is that that right? You, if you're in the IMF, I don't—you don't get paid. I think that they implied, you know, and you don't get any benefits, and they'll absolutely disavow, you, you know, if you if you yeah, get caught. Yeah, there's no vacation time. Right, but it's it's just kind of I don't know the right thing to do, you know, to fight global terrorism. So it's what you do. Okay, welcome back. So in part three, we talked about the title or the ending or the key takeaways. What do you, what do you have on the ending?
1: Um, you get to the end and you hear Kitteridge say, good luck, Ethan, we're all counting on you. And you see the sub and, and you're, and they all have to find out where it is. And then the credits come on and you're like, oh man, it's like, I got to wait a year for the for the answer to this thing. I got to wait a year. So they definitely knew what they were doing. Like we talk about cliffhangers. I mean, that's, you know, he's going to fight it. You know, you know, he's, he's going to win, but, um, I just think it was a, it was a very clever way to end it.
0: Yeah. I think, uh, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they kill Ethan. I mean, I don't I don't know if that's no way. how controversial that it, no way, no way, no way is Ethan dying. Mark, this is going to go on, in on record. No way does Ethan die. I'm just saying I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if they if they put an end to it by putting an end to it.
1: Well, first of all, the, there's no they the, the they is Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise is not going to kill Ethan. He's got to be out there in the shadows, to, like, you know, doing it for people he doesn't know. That's why he's in the IMF.
0: Well, I I, no, I'm with I'm with you. It it would be a better ending than the last James Bond, though. I mean, I I, the like the thing that I like about it is whether uh, Ethan's mortality aside, there's nothing valedictory necessarily about this movie where every other franchise, you know, does the wrap up movie like a wrap up movie. And this is just a really good Mission Impossible. You know what I mean? It's like if you had your last work party before you close the office, but it was just a regular pizza party.
1: The reason that James Bond fell apart in no time to die is because they started to believe in their own press and they made it this elegiac, you know, sad thing where he gets to meet his daughter. And like, I don't care about Ethan's family. I don't care about his past. We get the flashback there where he sees how he got to the IMF. It's great. Like flashbacks from a movie that never got made. That's fine. That's that's plenty. So characters can die so when rebecca ferguson dies that was really surprising because she was such a big part of it but it's part of the plot like one of the two women has to die who's going to be on the bridge like that was kind of clever you think she's dead in the beginning that she's not dead but um i don't i i just can't imagine a for the series and b for tom cruise's ego that ethan dies well this is the last one isn't it the next one's supposed to be the last one yeah yeah and i and i just hope i also want to hear a record saying it better be the end of the imf i don't want to see a movie now about luther's origin story i don't want to see a movie where where benji is at some you know at eaton learning how to code i don't want to see any of that stuff it should end and no spinoffs
0: they'll, they'll be on apple plus don't sue me apple plus
1: so thanks for listening everybody we hope you enjoyed our conversation about mission impossible dead reckoning part one you could follow us on twitter at one five min film where else mike Letterboxd. Letterboxd. And uh, I urge you to see it. You know, even if it's not your favorite one, I'm pretty much like the comic book guy on The Simpsons. Like, you know, I will only see it three more times this week.